So friends, um, it's so good to be with you tonight, and it's a privilege to be able to actually preach on this particular day. Um, and I have to be honest, it really is a privilege. It's my first time preaching um, on Easter, and, uh, and it definitely, as I've, as I've been preparing and just spending time with God, um, it's actually been really special. So it's good that we can be here together and actually celebrate together. Instead of online, we can be here in person. Um, even though we're masked up. So what I would love to remind you at the end of all of this, what I would love for you to take home is why the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is still good news for us today. Um, And in fact, before I actually jump in, can you bow your heads, close your eyes and pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, that we do get the privilege of coming here to worship you and praise you and listen to your word, open up your word, read your word together. So, Father, we pray, Lord, whether we know you well, whether we know you a little bit, or we don't know you at all, we pray, Lord, that you will just bless this time as we open up your word and are reminded of what actually happened on this day and the significance of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, friends, I don't know your particular situation. I don't know why you might be here today. Um, You may know the story. Or you may know the story. And great, I'm seeing some blank looks. That means you're listening. So what do I mean by that? You may know the story in your heart, where you've been brought up with the story. You know the story well. Or you may know of the story. You may have also been brought up with the story, but it's just a story to you. And so my prayer, my prayer is today that you would walk out from here with the fresh revelation of why you are here today and a fresh revelation of what actually happened on this day. And I want to start off by a story, which Michael shares quite often, of two young boys who were once um, sitting in their kids, it wasn't kids' life, but their kids' ministry, and a a cartoon video came on of of Jesus' crucifixion um, and his resurrection. And it was at the crucifixion that one of the little guys started to get a little bit uncomfortable at the sight of what he was seeing, of Jesus being crucified, being arrested, and then going off to be crucified. And his buddy sitting next to him started to see him feeling a bit uncomfortable, getting a bit agitated. So he leaned over, put his arm around him, and said, hey, don't worry. I know what happens next. He's coming back again. So clearly, this little guy had been to an Easter service before. And I love the way that he leant over to reassure his little buddy that, it, that everything's going to be okay. He's coming back. But we have to be careful to approach Easter with the same assurance because it can be so easy to miss out on the marvel of the day because we know how the story ends. In fact, if you, have you ever, have you ever gone to sleep thinking about your reality as it is and thinking about that time when you wake up? So hoping the reality of when you go to sleep is actually just going to be a dream. I'm going to read that again because I think I butchered that. Have you ever woken up hoping the reality of when you went to sleep was just a dream? What do I mean by that? Have you ever woken to recognize that those test results still hang heavy? Or maybe that day, that one meeting that you're waiting for, that you're looking forward to is still in front of you. You know it's coming up. Or you know the grief of that past hurt doesn't feel any better after a night's sleep. The reality that you went to bed with is still the same one that you woke up with. And friends, if that's you here today, 
then Easter Sunday is good news for your soul. Because I am sure that is exactly how Mary and the disciples felt as they woke up on the third day after Jesus' death. Their plans disrupted, their hopes dashed, their dreams squashed. And we see this by some of the women going to the tomb only to find that the tomb was empty. And it's easy for us to jump ahead and start to celebrate because we know the end of the story. But for the woman and the disciples, this still wasn't good news. And adding her to injury, we find the response of Mary in particular is one of grief. Sunday morning comes and Mary runs to the garden, to the garden of the tomb to find Jesus. We're already jumping ahead. John chapter 20. Let's just pause for a moment. Isn't it interesting that what started in the garden, what started in the garden of Eden, we reached a painful climax in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested, and now it continues again in a new garden, the garden of the tomb. So Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Why was Mary crying? She cried because this was the final nail in her grief. Not only had they taken her Lord's life, but now they had defiled his body. Her tears were tears of overwhelming grief. And just, because, just before it could have not gotten any worse than Easter Sunday was here. Sorry, Easter Saturday was here. No Messiah, no Jesus. The hope of the disciples was that Christ was the divine intervention into the human condition. Can you imagine being a disciple back then? following this Jesus, following this Messiah who becomes your closest friend, watching him heal the sick, bring sight to the blind, raise the dead, and you're waiting to walk in to see him, and then there is no body. So Mary stands at the tomb, which punctuated her disappointed hopes, and now finds the body is gone. And let's not rush too far past this moment, because we all know what this feels like. Salt in a fresh wound, the belief that all evidence points to a faithless God and an evil humanity. Those situations in your life where it just gets worse despite all hope. And here you are, weeping at the tomb of your missing hope and redeemer. But we know Sunday was still coming. So we carry on reading in John. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. I love how Mary bypasses the fact that there are two angels sitting right there in the tomb and totally just starts conversing with him. And Mary responds to the angels with language that does not even surmise that there could be a different um, option. And why do the angels question her? And friends, this is beautiful. This a quote by John Milne, a, um, a theologian in, in, the, in the States, says, for heaven, nothing is more incongruous, nothing is more confusing than tears at the empty tomb of Jesus. See, these angels are hungry with anticipation for Mary to know what they know, for Mary to see what they saw, and for her to hear what they heard. So at this moment, she senses someone behind her, and she turns around to see a man who, is, who the narrator invites us to let us know is Jesus. So she turns around and sees Jesus, and we, look, we go into chapter 15. He asked her, verse 15, woman, why are you crying? 
Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I love how Jesus is depicted as a gardener. And friends, I don't think that this is accidental. The great news is, Michael preached here on Friday and spoke about our gardens and asked us who loves gardening. I think majority of us said we don't. I may be wrong. But the great news is we've got Jesus not to look after our, our gardens and our lawns, but the gardens within our hearts. So Jesus came to restore a path back, back to the garden that was lost in the beginning, the garden where God and man would walk in the cool of the day. Friends, the, gar- the gardener, Jesus is coming back to graft the, the branches back to the vine. So Jesus said to her, Mary calls her by name. See, we know in God's word, he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. God is calling out your name today, friends, whether you know him or not. So she turns toward him, we, we carry on. She turns toward him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went back to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that. And he said these things to her. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that Mary runs to tell the others a simple five word sentence, I have seen the Lord. So what? Who cares? Why does it matter that she runs back with those five words? Because if Mary had seen Jesus, she doesn't say, I saw his body. She doesn't say, I know where he is. She says, I have seen that which was meant to be dead. I have seen that which was meant to be dead. And this matters, friends. It matters because of three points that I'm just going to go through. The resurrection changes history. It matters because it changes our personal reality, and it matters because it changes our universal trajectory. So what do I mean by this? Why does it matter? Because it changes our world history. It's not enough, friends, it's not enough for us just to assume that the resurrection is a nice story of Christianity that we should celebrate once a year. I believe the most important question that you can answer in your life is who is Jesus and did he rise from the dead? And I, and I challenge you with that. Who is Jesus and did he rise from the dead? If you answer with nobody, he's nobody, and no, he didn't rise from the dead, then nothing changes. You should ask, um, then you could ask yourself, why are you here today? Don't switch off yet because I can promise you there's more to this reason. So here's a challenge I want to leave you with. Don't just answer no because it's convenient. There is too much historical proof to prove that something happened in that tomb, that death did not have the last say, that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, and death is losing. In fact, it has lost its sting. And you can't celebrate Easter nominally as if it didn't actually really happen. There is no middle ground on the resurrection of Jesus. There's no middle ground. I love this quote by Sean McDowell, who's a pastor in the States. He says, I reminded them when having a conversation with people who didn't believe in the resurrection, I reminded them that while many people may reject the historical resurrection of Jesus, it's not the type of claim that can be true for you and not true for me. 
The tomb was either empty on the third day or it was occupied. There is no middle ground. And before anyone can grasp the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus, he or she must realize that this is an objective fact, not personal preference. It's an objective fact, not personal preference. So I don't know why you're here today, as I said, but there is nothing casual, there is nothing nominal, and nothing fiction about Easter. Either this happened and we join Mary in her joy today, or, friends, it didn't, and we should be joining her in her weeping. But if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, the garden is lost. Our hope is gone, we live for ourselves, and there is absolutely no hope in that. So what if? What if Jesus wasn't a liar? What if the resurrection was not a hope made up by the disciples, but it was truth declared by Christ? John 11, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So if I said to you, be nice to one another, now I'm gonna go die and then I'll come back in no time. There is no two minds about it. You would think I'm either absolutely crazy or something else is going on. So Tim Keller says, an American theologian and author, he says, he answers this idea. He says, you can't believe in Easter without taking the resurrection seriously. So he says to these, he says here, if Jesus was raised from the dead, you're going to have to deal with everything in the Bible. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, I don't know why you're even vexing over it. But the fact of the matter is, Paul was more offended by Christianity than you. He was killing Christians. We don't advise that. But when you realize Jesus had been raised, it didn't matter what offended him anymore. It didn't matter because it was true. And we have to keep that in mind, friends. The resurrection is a paradigm-shattering historical event. How do we actually know the resurrection happened? Have you ever thought about, thought about that? How do we actually know that the resurrection really happened? In fact, have, has anyone, have you ever had a conversation with someone and they've said to you, how do you know the resurrection actually happened? What would your response be to that question? And I have to be honest with you, friends. When I thought about that, I thought, man, I actually don't have a really good response to that until I, st I went to Alpha or started doing Alpha. And here's my plug. And I'll be doing pl another plug again later. If you're wondering or questioning, going, hey, I actually don't know how to prove that, the, or what is the proof that the resurrection actually happened, come to Alpha. Alpha gives you some of those answers. And you can also read your Bible. That'll also help. But friends, Alpha is a great way to search these questions. So, quick few facts. We don't have time to go into all the evidence, but like I said, come to Alpha because we have all the time to go into all the evidence. So just a few points. The woman, okay, the woman were the first witnesses to the resurrection. Now, unfortunately in those times, in ancient Jerusalem, if you wanted to fake something or build a false story, you should never have used women because the woman's testimony would not uphold in court, unlike today. More than five, second point, more than 500 people attested to having seen the resurrection of Jesus. 
who stood to gain nothing for claiming he resurrected from the dead. In fact, most, if not all of them, were horribly murdered for this belief. Yet as they and all their families were killed, they did not give up on this answer to this hope because it actually happened. And you could say, well, Kelvin, you probably have a, they probably had a massive group hallucination. I'm so glad that your mind went there because Dr. Gary A. Sibke, a licensed clinical psychologist, writes, I have surveyed the professional literature written by psychologists, psychiatrists, and other relevant healthcare professionals during the past two decades and have yet to find a single documented case of a group hallucination. So that is the only group hallucination ever recorded. Fourth and last point of how do we know the resurrection actually happened? There is no body, and therefore there is no tomb. And we can see up on the screen, Augustine's mausoleum in Rome, you can see the tomb of the great Caesar Augustus, who was the God emperor at the time of Jesus' birth. He was considered to be a God by the greatest empire in the ancient world, and his tomb still stands and is recognized. Whereas Jesus' tomb was used for the next person, for the next body, as dire as that sounds. So why is that important? It's important because until you can accept the fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead is a matter of historical reality, then you can never know the hope that it offers to your personal reality. And Paul knew this because he writes in the church of Corinth, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So why does Paul say this? It's because the resurrection is not just something that changes world history. It is a reality that changes our personal reality. That's my second point. So we don't need to look to recognize the depth of human darkness. We don't need to look far. There's story after story, and right now we can actually see it in the US with how locals are treating their Asian brothers and sisters. It's absolutely shocking, but we actually don't have to look that far. We can look at our own hearts and see the darkness there too. And when you look at the hopeless state, not just of the world, but of our own soul, you begin to question, is there any good? Is there any truth, anything that can save me from this darkness? Not only that I find in the world, but the darkness that I find in myself. And this is why the cross means nothing without the tomb, and the tomb means nothing without the cross. And on Friday, Michael spoke of the human predicament that we all have a debt. We have all rebelled, just like in Genesis 3. We have all wanted to lead our own way and do our own thing. So friends, what can save us from this trajectory of death that the world is heading on? What can save us? The resurrection is not a fairy tale. It's not a fairy story for people afraid of their own darkness. It's rather a historical fact that people have realized there is no other option in answer to the darkness of this world and our hearts than divine intervention. You see, the garden was lost in Genesis because man wanted to live his own life. And then the rest of the world, rest of the Old Testament, we see this proof that no matter how hard we try, we cannot find our own way back. 
So God steps in and he steps down. But if Jesus died for our sins on Friday, and that's where the story ended, then what hope is in that? Then it's not, he's nothing but a martyr for a comforting idea that God cares, and death still wins. So the empty tomb tells us not only that Jesus went to the cross to restore us back to life, but offer us forgiveness and also take the punishment for our death, sin and rebellion, but also, also that all of these things work, that the divine intervention worked. Death did not win, our sin was paid, the check was cleared, and there is now no more owing to God for those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, so you'll need to skip, uh, skip a slide there, James. Eh? But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead and first fruits for those have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, all die. And so in Christ, all will be made alive. We have hope. We have hope in Jesus. But this is not a historical or a personal event. It is also universal. It has universal ramifications. Third and final point, Jesus' resurrection changes our universal trajectory. So the band can come up. I'm just going to be in closing. So friends, we live in a world tainted by darkness and death. But the truth, the truth is that suffering, pain, death, was never a part of God's created order. It was never a part of his plan. And it will not be a part of his restored future. So the created order was broken in Genesis 3. We've seen that. We've, we've studied that together. But instead of leaving us in the consequences of our own choices, God has been on a redemption mission ever since. Easter, or the empty tomb, is a preview of the trajectory of the whole universe. God is restoring all things, friends. The empty tomb tells us that one day, the garden which was lost in Eden, the garden of suffering we join Christ with in Gethsemane, will be trumped by the garden of a restored kingdom. A kingdom where there is no sickness. A kingdom where there is no pain. There's no cancer. There's no sin, no evil. The trajectory of God's creation will one day be full redemption. The empty tomb, friends, is a reminder that every moment of suffering, every moment of pain, every moment of bad sickness diagnosis, every moment where death still steals our joy, every moment where sin still hurts and destroys, these are reminders, reminders to the Christian that the grave is still empty and God is not finished yet. It's a reminder to those who don't yet know Christ that you don't have to do this alone and you don't have to live with no hope of redemption. See friends, he's starting with redeeming and restoring the human heart. And this will one day overflow into creation. This is the resurrected hope that we live in. What other worldview offers you that hope? What other worldview is there that offers you that hope? And if you're not sure that this is true, I was gonna invite you to stick around for baptisms, but it's raining outside and they're gonna get wet. That's just a joke. It's, it's not, it is raining, but because of COVID, 
we have felt that we're going to extend baptisms. We're going to push it out three weeks. So come back. Come back next week, the following week, and then the following week for baptisms. Because I can promise you there that you're going to hear stories of how the miraculous saving work of God still redeems, He still restores, and He still renews. That's where you're going to hear some stories. See, friends, we live as an Easter Sunday people in an Easter Saturday world. Not denying that the world is not in despair, but knowing that despair is not the end of the story. This quote by Timothy Keller, but Jesus Christ is walking proof that you will miss nothing, nothing. It's all coming in the future. It's going to be unimaginably wonderful. There is no religion, no philosophy, and no human being who can offer this kind of future. And as Christians, our hope for the future is based on the historical fact of the resurrection. So if you are not a Christian, let me ask, why wouldn't you want that? And even if you don't like different aspects of the Christian faith, why wouldn't you want this hope for restoration? And friends, honestly, you're not being honest with yourself if your response is, I don't want that. And if I can be honest with you as well, it is only since I've come to actually know that the resurrection is a historical fact and not my own faith or belief that I've actually had the confidence to sit down with my, my, my brother from another mother who works at my past, uh, who works where I used to work and we can sit down and he's a proud atheist and we can have the conversation of, he challenges me, did Jesus really die? And I've got the facts. I know it here, but I also know it here. And that makes such a difference. It gives you the confidence. It gives you the boldness. It gives you the faith. The gospel doesn't finish on the cross, friends, nor even in the tomb, but in a kingdom that will be the renewal of all things, where the garden, not just of our souls, but of this world is restored. The resurrected Christ, the great gardener of our souls, calls your name today. How will you respond? And if, you, if you're sitting there going, hey, Kelvin, I have responded. I'm all good, brother. Fantastic. But if you haven't, we would love to give you the opportunity to respond to that call because he's calling your name today. So what I would actually love to do is I'm going to finish with this prayer. And if that's you, if you're out there going, you know what, I'd actually like to say this prayer. I'd actually like to ask God to come into my life, repent and hand over my life to God. Then what I'd love to do is invite you to say this prayer with me. So if we can all close our eyes, bow our heads. And in fact, let's just say this together. Lord, I know I have done wrong. I know I cannot keep going the way that I'm going. I need you. Thank you for sending your son to die for me so that I can live free from the bondage of sin. Lord, come into my life and help me to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, 
we would love to have the, have the opportunity to connect with you, to pray with you. So our worship team is gonna take us into a time of worship now. We're just gonna be able to get to sit back or stand up, worship God, praise Him, thank Him for what He did for us. And if that was you who maybe, gave you, who maybe made that decision, said that prayer for the first time, second time, third time, we would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. So there'll be a few of us or a couple of us over there just in the corner. We'd love to pray with you. Thanks, Aaron.